Well, let me add uh, the welcome that, uh, to the welcome that Dave's given you. My own uh, welcome uh, to you. It's very, very good to see you. Uh, you may like to have uh, this in your hand. Uh, it should have been tucked inside the service order. It's a, a simple, simple outline uh, of uh, tonight's sermon. So if you enjoy those things and you want to see where we're going, uh, then have that in your hand. And if you want to take notes, uh, then that will be a good place to take notes onto. And the other thing you might like to have in your hand is the, is the Bible, if you can grab hold of one, and open it, open it to Colossians chapter 1, uh, page 1182. I think that will help you, it will certainly help me, to know that you've got the Bible in front of you. And the reason we have the Bible in front of us is because we don't think that we have anything special to say, but we do think the Bible is God's word, God's speaking to us, and uh, so you can check out whether I'm saying what the Bible is saying, and if it is, then the issue is between you and God, not between you and me. Well, have you uh, noticed, I'm sure you have, how advertising plays on our insecurities? So men are persuaded to buy, what do you call it, eau de toilette, fragrance, aftershave, whatever you call it. Men are persuaded to buy that stuff in order to have greater sex appeal. And it works because how many men don't feel inadequate in that department? I know there's a few who feel perfectly adequate. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Dave. But there are, <laughs> there are many who don't feel so adequate. We're attempted to buy a Renault Clio by the thought that life will be more fun and vivacious if we drive one. And it works because who doesn't feel that there's more room in their life to be more bubbly, more exuberant, more happy-go-lucky? Buy a Renault Clio. And we're convinced to buy healthy eating products by being reminded that if you fill your face with the wrong things, a heart attack is just around the corner. And it works because who wants to die young? Advertising plays on our insecurities. Sometimes genuine and real insecurities that we may be well aware of and sometimes insecurities that clever marketing strategy creates in our minds. Now, desperately, the church, churches can do the same thing. People can play on feelings of spiritual inadequacy and insecurity. There's something very seductive and persuasive about a confident, charming church leader telling you that they can supply what is lacking in your spiritual life or encouraging you to attend their church because they have something that your church doesn't have. And it works. It's appealing because how many of us deep down believe we've got it all sorted spiritually? Most of us, especially in our best moments, realise how often we fail to live out the Christian life. If someone is offering me something that is going to plug the spiritual gaps, I'm going to want that, aren't I? That is exactly what was happening in the church in Colossae. Uh, look, if you will, with me at chapter 2, verse 4. Paul, uh, halfway through what he's writing, says, chapter 2, verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Do you see, people in the church in Colossae were deceiving the Christians. These deceivers were eloquent, verse 4. They had fine-sounding arguments and no doubt they were charming, confident people as well. I, I came across... Exactly this sort of thing when I worked at, uh, in London, at All Souls Church in the heart of London's West End. 
we became aware over a few Sundays that a group had infiltrated our meetings on Sundays and after the services over coffee they would wander around introducing themselves to others. They were friendly and charming people. And when they got chatting to new or young Christians they'd say, look it's splendid that you're coming here and it's wonderful that you've come to know Christ but you know, here you're not getting the full message, not here. Uh, Come with us, we'd like to tell you more. We'd like to tell you how you can have fuller spiritual realities. It was that sort of thing that was happening in Colossae. And that is exactly why Paul wrote this letter. He wanted to equip this Christian church against this kind of spiritual deception. Look what he really wants for them. This is the key verse. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 are the key verses for the whole book. This is what he really wants for them. Chapter 2, verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you see there? Paul wants to help these Christians to be See the words rooted and established. Unable to be uprooted by these deceivers. And so Paul says, chapter 2, verse 6, continue to live, and this is the key verse, that word, in him, in Christ. And verse 7, rooted and built up, in him, strengthened in the faith. Beware of the deceivers, says Paul. Look how he goes on, chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Yeah, the deceivers had fine-sounding arguments. They weren't stupid. What they said sounded really plausible but at the end of the day, what they said had no real substance. Because, end of verse 8, it wasn't rooted in Christ. Well, don't misunderstand. They were not saying, leave Jesus. They were just saying, we can take you a little bit further on. Look down to chapter 2, verse 16, just the final reference to get a feel for this false teaching. Chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Do you see, they would have been saying, look, if you eat this, if you do that, you'll go into, well, an experience you haven't had with just faith in Jesus. But Paul says, verse 17, these things, these, uh, what you eat, what you drink, uh, these different festivals... Verse 17, these things are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything. So, verse 18, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Oh yeah, they had great stories about great spiritual experiences that they had. Paul says, don't listen to them. See, they promised to fill your spiritual, the gaps in your spiritual life. They spoke of impressive spiritual experiences But Paul is saying here, what they offer has no substance. The real thing is Christ. Do you see it there, end of chapter 2, verse 17? In Christ. 
All the way through this letter, Paul says, if you have Christ, you have everything. There is no fuller experience. There is no deeper knowledge than Christ. So in Christ you have everything, and you have everything you need to live the Christian life. Dave has helpfully welcomed the students, new students here to church. It's great you've come. As you're looking around at churches, we're thrilled that you've come to be with us today. Our longing for you, if you're trying to work out what we're about, is that you will be established in Christ. I think the youth group over here, you know, some of you, top end of the youth group, in a year's time, maybe two, if you take a gap year, it'll be you going to other churches to try and find the right church to go to. Well, our longing for you before you even leave is that you get rooted, built up in Christ. Students, youth, everyone. Everyone who calls themselves Christian. Paul says, make it your goal to be established in Christ so that you can't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. You see, the arguments will be good. Oh, they'll be good. These people aren't stupid. But beware, because there is so much super-spiritual languages in churches today and it will play on your insecurities. And you and I will feel insecure at times. Well, in chapter 1 that we'll look at over the next two weeks, Paul assures the Christians that they are real Christians, that they are in Christ, that they have everything that God has to offer them. And he begins by, if you're following the, uh, the handout, he begins by giving them point one, assurance. Assurance for sensitive Christians, verses 3 to 8. I met with someone this week and he told me about some of the people who had influenced him in, in the Christian life. And as he talked about these people, he'd moved around a couple of different places, he talked about these people, um, I knew a number of them. And as we finished talking, it was a great time, we, we prayed and, and we found ourselves praying prayers of thankfulness for these faithful Christian brothers and sisters uh, because of the way they'd lived their life and, and how wonderful it was to see them living as Christians. Now that's what Paul is doing here in verse 3. He did it actually every time he prayed for the church in Colossae. Do you see? We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Every time he thought of the church in Colossae, he was thankful for them because they were a terrific bunch. And he tells us exactly why he prayed thanks for them because, verse 4, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. He'd heard they had a real and living faith in Christ. Can you just feel the relief as the Colossians were reading this? What music this must have been to their ears. The deceivers in Colossae had left the Christians wondering if they had a real, full Christian experience. And so the very first thing that Paul tells them is, no, you are real Christians. And he does it by telling them two particular things uh, that are on the sheet. One on the front, one on the back. The first thing he says is that uh, you're real Christians because you've received the authentic gospel and the second thing he says is that they are real Christians because they displayed authentic faith in their lives. Firstly, he assures them that they had received the authentic gospel. You see, the church in Colossae hadn't been planted by the Apostle Paul. The Colossians had received the gospel from a guy called Epaphras. You'll see his name in verse 7. 
Now, as Paul wrote this letter, he was uh, far away. He was actually locked up in prison. There's no need to turn to it, but if you want to take a note, you can see that in chapter 4, verse 18. He talks about being in chains. So Paul couldn't go and visit them. These false teachers, these deceivers had come into the church and, and Paul longed to go and help them to say, no, you are the real deal. But he couldn't actually go to them because he was in chains. And so Paul assures them that the gospel that they'd received from Epaphras was the real gospel. Look at verse 7. It talks about the gospel in verse 6 and then verse 7 he says, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. I imagine the, the deceivers in Colossae were calling Epaphras' credentials into question. Uh, look how else Paul writes of Epaphras at the end of the letter. Just flip over to chapter 4, verse 12. He's very warm towards Epaphras because he has to be. Oh, because he loves Epaphras, but also because he wants these Christians to know, oh, you did get the real gospel. He was the real thing. See, look at chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's also wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you. Oh, Epaphras was a great guy. So Paul is saying throughout this letter, and in chapter 1, verse 7, he's saying Epaphras can be trusted. Epaphras taught you the true message and therefore you have the full message of the gospel of Christ. He hasn't sold you short. Don't listen to what these deceivers are saying. You haven't quite got it all. No, chapter 1, verse 7, Epaphras is faithful. That's a great word, faithful. The problem is it's such a weak word. It doesn't sound very impressive at all, faithful, does it? I, I love, I absolutely love sport. Um, I like all sorts of sport. I, I love football. Like most blokes who like football, I like to think I know a thing or two about the game. I like to think that I could improve the England national team. Uh, I've got a few ideas on how to improve the balance of the team, how to make them a bit more effective tactically. So when things are not going so well, I find myself shouting at the television. Do you do that? Which is very often when you're watching England. And uh, sometimes I dream dreams. I used to dream that I would get a, a call-up to play for them. I've gone beyond that age. So now I dream that Fabio Capello, the England team coach, will call me up to help, help advise him, give him a few tips. I don't want a million a year for that. That's what he's getting. I'll, I'll just a few thousand, I'll do that for. Now just dream along with me, if you will. While the upcoming games against Kazakhstan and Belarus, those two great footballing nations that we're going to struggle to beat, imagine Fabio Capello is explaining to me his team selection. I ask him, now, now why have you put Ferdinand at the, back, at the heart of the back four? Well, he reads the game so well, says Fabio. He has an amazing turn of speed. He's solid in the tackle, good in the air. I say, well, you better play him then. And Stephen Gerrard in midfield, I see you've put him in. What do you think? Oh, he has great vision, skill to make those, those telling passes. He chases back, covers for the defenders when they've gone forward. He's one of those midfielders who scores goals from the set piece and arriving late into the box. Well, you better play him, him then, I say. And I see you've put Wayne Rooney up front. Oh yeah, I chose him because he's strong. He can take on and beat his man. He scores goals. He can make something out of nothing. He's quite simply world class. Well, you better play him then. And having gone through the team selection player by player, we come to the final player to make the starting eleven. And I ask uh, of this player's inclusion. 
And Fabio Capello says of his 11th man, well, he's faithful. And I say, faithful? Well, you really don't want him, do you? See, it's such a weak word, isn't it? Faithful. If I said it of Dave, oh, we've got a great team here, you know, and I sort of extol the virtues of this person, this person, I say, Dave, what are going to say about that? Oh, he's faithful. It wouldn't be very impressive, would it? Well, look, let me blow that out of the water and say there is nothing weak about Epaphras being faithful. Epaphras' faithfulness is he's given you the genuine gospel. He's been faithful with the message. He hasn't changed it. You were given the authentic gospel message from Epaphras. That is a powerful word. He's been faithful. You've really got it. You haven't got a second-rate gospel. You've got the whole gospel. That's what Paul is saying here. And you see, we're in exactly the same position as the Colossians. We didn't get the gospel directly from the Apostle Paul. We can't go to him to check out whether we've got the real gospel either. But just as Epaphras was faithful because he took the message from the Apostles, so if we have been given the gospel message of the Bible, then we too can be sure that we have the real thing. Isn't that encouraging? People may come alongside us and say, you haven't really got the full message. There's something more. And if we've got this message from the Bible, the gospel message of the Bible, then we know we've got the real thing. And if you've got this message, there is nothing more to have. You may hear the most amazing promises being offered, quite extraordinary experiences, but if it's not in the Bible, don't listen to it. Uh, This week I've received brochures for two Christian conferences. They make the most remarkable claims. They're glossy brochures. They look fantastic. At a glance, they sound very impressive. But I started to read through them a bit more carefully. And I began to realise there was no mention of the Bible in either of them. That is very telling. They promised me the earth. The gospel message of the Bible brings me to Jesus. And he is all I need for life. The thing is, that sounds very ordinary. But please believe it. Because if you don't believe it, when people prey on your sense of spiritual inadequacy and they tell you that they can fill the gaps in your spiritual experience, if you don't believe it, you'll be ripe for falling for that spiritual deception. Do you see how wonderful this is? Paul assured the Colossians that they'd received the authentic gospel because they got it from Epaphras, who was faithful to the apostles' teaching. Paul did that a little bit further in verse 6. Do you see what he says in verse 6? He says in verse 5, the gospel has come to you. Verse 6, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. See, they knew that they'd received the the authentic gospel because it was bearing fruit and growing. That was happening all over the world. Earlier in the year, I had the privilege of being with more than a thousand Christian leaders at a Christian conference. It was amazing meeting people from five different continents of the world who believed the same gospel message. And it was wonderful to hear about the way the gospel was growing all over the world. That's what he's saying here. The authentic gospel brings growth. But listen, it's not just growth. 
Growth on its own is not a mark of the authentic gospel. Many things that bear the label Christian grow because they make huge claims. And people like huge claims, especially people who feel inadequate, and we all feel that from time to time. See, again, I think back to my time in central London and a a large church in London. They made quite amazing promises of, of financial well-being and success when you gave money to them. And the church was huge. Why? I guess because people wanted financial security and success and well-being, which is the sort of thing they were promising. But what did Jesus say? If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus is going to be tough. He didn't promise that everything's going to be well. You see, the gospel, the authentic gospel, will bring growth, but numerical growth alone is not a mark of the genuine gospel. The authentic gospel brings spiritual growth as well. Do you see it there, verse 6? All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Bearing fruit as well. I can't help but think of Jesus' words in John chapter 15. There's no need to turn them up, but you can look at them when you get home. He said in John chapter 15, Remain in me. That is the big plea of the letter of Colossians. Don't go anywhere else. Stay with Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, Remain in me and you will bear fruit. Jesus said, You can't bear fruit apart from me. And then he said this, Remain in me, he said, and you will bear fruit Fruit that will last. That's the key thing. It's not just numerical growth, but deep growth. Fruit that will last, that is a real mark of the true gospel. But listen, the message of the deceivers in Colossae would not bring lasting fruit. Not when testing times came. Because their message had no real substance. I think of someone I know, he attends a church which is big and successful, a a church which promises significant spiritual experiences, but when he was tragically bereaved, that church was found wanting. His words, not mine. They were supportive and kind, but he discovered that the message he'd been hearing hadn't equipped him for his tragic bereavement. So he found he had to go to another pastor of another church to discuss the really big issues that arose because of his bereavement. See, the genuine gospel brings fruit that will last. Fruit that will last the test of time and the test of tragedy and the test of truth. And wonderfully, Paul wants to encourage these Christians as he says, yeah, I've seen that lasting fruit in you. He says, you're the real deal. Don't listen to these deceivers. You are the real thing. And so secondly, over the page, if you're still following uh, in the handout, Paul gives them assurance that they displayed the authentic faith. He speaks of this real fruit, lasting fruit, fruit of faith, love and hope in verses 4 and 5. Here again is why he prayed his thanks, prayers of thanksgiving to God, because we have heard, verse 4, of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Now do you see it there? Faith and love spring from hope. So we'll start with that one. Hope, you see, at its heart, the gospel message is about a great hope for the future. 
Well, you've got your Bible open. Just look on to chapter 1, verse 27. And that great phrase at the end of the verse, chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The indwelling Christ, dwelling in the hearts of believers by the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Christ is the hope of glory. And when Christ is really in you, you hope for glory. See, the Christian life is not all about now. Oh, it's wonderful now. It helps so much for now, but it's not all about now. It's about a hope for eternity with Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. Christian, you're looking forward to it? Of course you are. That's what this is saying. You're looking forward to that day if you're a real Christian. Because when we are with Jesus Christ in eternity, well, there's all sorts of reasons why you look forward to it, but not least of all because you're going to be free from sin and suffering. Isn't that going to be fantastic? That won't happen this side of glory. You'll always sin, you'll always suffer this side of glory, but that side of glory, sin and suffering will be gone. Isn't that fantastic? That's why we hope for it, along with all sorts of other reasons. But unless we have that really clear, when people come promising greater spiritual experiences, we'll be so easily deceived because we have sin and suffering in our lives and we'll be long to be free from it. So if somebody says, I can free you from it now, we'll want that, won't we? We've got to hope for glory. That's where it's going to happen. My grandmother was a, a faithful Christian woman. She uh, didn't go to churches that taught the Bible particularly well, but she was a faithful Christian woman. When she was in her late 80s, she was a frail and very poorly old woman with all sorts of ailments and aches and pains. I mean, too many to mention. One of them, though, was that she was riddled with arthritis. Apart from the fact she couldn't hold things, it caused her great pain. When I visited her, she would often wonder if Jesus would return soon. She'd uh, look at the news and she'd say, oh, the world, it's a terrible world. Do you think Jesus is going to come back soon? She longed for that. Life wasn't easy for her. But she knew that one day she'd be with Jesus and free from pain. And then one day, a couple of uh, Christians from a church nearby to the home that she was living in, a church that she'd never attended and, and never been involved in, came visiting around the home. And they told her that if she had enough faith, she could be healed. She was in her late 80s, nearly 90. She had so many things wrong with her. What did they think was really going to happen? They prayed with her for healing. But of course she never was. How cruel. How cruel of those people to offer a poor old lady a hope that actually was reserved for heaven and then to leave her for a time confused and uncertain. Do you see the point here? Christians are people who hope for glory. And we hope for that glory because we know that there, all our inadequacies, all our sin, all our suffering, all the problems of life will be dealt with. But it's there that that will happen finally. Don't mishear me, I am not saying that God never heals today. But do you see, if those are the promises that are brought from the future into the present, how unhelpful that can be. It sounds so grand. Christians are people who hope for glory. Paul saw that in the Colossians. And so he says, I know you're the real thing. 
And verse 4, that hope led to other fruit, the fruit of faith and love. Uh, Firstly, faith, verse 4. And notice it is faith in Christ Jesus. Now look, if you've nodded off, or if your neighbour has nodded off right now, we'll just give them a prod, wake them up, because this is so misunderstood. There is so much nonsense spoken about faith these days. Uh, Prince Charles, who doesn't believe in, in the Gospel of Christ, has declared himself that when he becomes king, he will be defender of faith. Uh, Prince Charles has many uh, serious and strong opinions on a number of issues, the environment, architecture, genetically modified crops, you know, uh, those sorts of things. He has strong convictions, but he has no serious convictions about Jesus Christ. And so he says when he becomes king, he will declare himself defender of faith rather than the faith of the Christian. But do you see, defender of faith means absolutely nothing. Faith is not the issue. It's what we put our faith in that matters. And Paul doesn't commend these Christians for faith. Such a slippery thing, that, isn't it? But verse 4, for faith in Christ Jesus. Notice, it's not even faith in God. Because the word God can mean absolutely anything. G-O-D. Loads of people say they believe in G-O-D, but you ask them about their G-O-D, and he doesn't bear any resemblance to the God of the Bible. I love the story of the guy who bought a brand new Jaguar XKR. He was driving around the narrow country lanes of the Peak District. It was a beautiful day, a bit like last Saturday. The sun was shining, so he put the soft top down. And as he was driving through these uh, narrow lanes, uh, uh, giving it a bit of welly, uh, the wind was in his hair. He he felt great, the speed, the way his new motor gripped the road. And as he went round a a particularly sharp bend, coming towards him in the other direction, and on the wrong side of the road was a woman driving an MG with the top down. And as she came around the corner on the wrong side of the road and nearly hit the guy in his new Jaguar XKR, she shouted at him, Pig! And as he went round the corner, he hit the pig. (laughs) Good, I'll just make sure you all catch up. Well done. (laughs) Do you see the point? The word pig can mean two different things. It's the same with the word God, G-O-D. Paul knew that these were genuine Christians because they had faith, you see it there, verse 4, not in God, but in Christ Jesus. To be a genuine Christian means I put my trust in Jesus because he is the only one who, chapter 1, verse 27, can give me the hope of glory. It's not faith in me that gives me the hope of glory. Not even faith in God that gives me the hope of glory. It is Christ in me. Chapter 1, verse 27, the hope of glory. And that means I don't put my trust in anyone else. You see, the real Christian then is not an especially trusting person. Indeed, I found when I first came to Christ, it didn't make me gullible. Some people think, you know, you just got faith. That means you believe anything. No, no, quite the opposite. When I became a Christian, it made me see the errors in other religions. It made me particularly sceptical of the fraudulent claims of many of the fanatical religious groups around. But your faith in Jesus doesn't doesn't make you gullible. 
It actually says, I don't put my faith in anyone or anything else to save me. Now again, do you see why Paul writes this? How different from the deceivers in Colossae. They, their teaching didn't promote faith in Christ alone. Oh, don't misunderstand. They'd have said faith in Christ was crucial. But they were saying you needed a further experience to fill the gaps. Something more than faith in Christ to have a full and complete spiritual experience. So you may have trusted Christ. Well, that's good, but come to us. We can give you another blessing. More than Christ alone will give you. The hope of glory led to faith in Christ and then uh, finally the hope of glory, the hope of the gospel and the hope of glory led to the Christians in Colossae having love for other Christians. See it there at the end of verse 4? And the love you have for all the saints. The word saints is just a word for other Christians. And most impressively about their love, their love for other Christians was evident to others. See, Epaphras had seen it with his own eyes, verse 8. So Epaphras, in verse 8, told Paul of your love in the Spirit. Isn't that impressive? Well, yeah, having love for other Christians is a mark, a work of the Holy Spirit, but isn't it impressive when others see it? I still remember when I first became a Christian. I remember walking around the, the shops uh, during my lunch hour. I, I worked in Bedford at the time uh, in the newspaper business and, and one lunch hour, just after I'd become a Christian, I was just walking around the shops to kill some time and uh, I walked into one shop, not going to buy anything and, and I suddenly saw that the shop assistant was wearing a Christian fish lapel badge. And I, and I said to him, are you a Christian too? And he said, yeah. And I had this instant bond and love for this Christian brother that I had never seen before and as far as I know have never seen since. It was remarkable. Love for other Christians. It's a great mark of the genuine Christian experience that I love other Christians. But you see, he's going much further than that. Oh, he's saying, look, your love was so impressive, you didn't just have it in your heart, you actually lived it out so we could see it, verse 8. Genuine, practical, caring love. Now again, how different from the deceivers in Colossae. Their teaching wouldn't have promoted love amongst Christians, it would have brought division. See, they were saying, come to us and you can have what's missing in your Christian life. And so their teaching promoted Christian haves and the Christian have-nots. Hope, faith and love. Do you see how this was so... uh, Reassuring how this was assurance for the sensitive Christian. See, Paul says to them in these uh, opening verses, you've responded to the gospel in the word of God. The gospel that speaks of the hope of heaven. You have faith in Christ Jesus. You love other Christians. And so I thank my God for you, verse 3. I believe you're the real thing. Don't be deceived by those among you. He'd say the same to us. See, let me ask you, you've heard the gospel in the word of God, have you? You've put your faith in Christ for salvation and the hope of glory. You have love for other Christians. That's brilliant. You're the genuine article. Don't let anyone throw you off. Do not be deceived. Don't let anyone play on your spiritual insecurities because you'll have them as well as me. We've all got them. Don't let anyone throw you off. Students again, you're looking around at churches. Again, thanks for coming. 
Of course, we'd be thrilled if you'd settled with us, but we recognise we're not the only church in Sheffield. And so if this is not the church for you, out of genuine concern for you, we'd simply say this, have this chapter in front of you as you look at other churches and ask yourself this. Ask yourself, is Jesus the be-all and end-all of this church? We'll see more of that next week. Is it Jesus that this church keeps speaking of? When I leave the church service, is it the name of Jesus that fills my, na- that, that fills my mind? I ask yourself, is this church grounded in the Bible? Is it bearing fruit that will last? The fruit of the hope of glory? The, faith of, the fruit of faith in Jesus Christ? The fruit of love for other Christians? If that's the mark of the church you go and join, brilliant! Because that's a church that will leave you rooted and built up in Christ and strengthened in the faith. And can I say, students, this says don't make anything else the test of whether a church is a good church or not. Don't stay somewhere just because it has good music or you like the shape of the building or you think the coffee's good or the fact that it's got a spud bar. Beware of any offer to fill the gaps in your spiritual experience that is not rooted in Christ. My time has gone. I'm not going to go on to point two, you'll be pleased to know. But the next verses are crucial, and I'm going to come back to them next week because they are so crucial, but I must just tell you a little bit, really, a couple of sentences about why they're so important. You see, verses 9 to 12, as it says on the handout, are a prayer for spiritual understanding, and we could say for spiritual growth. And I love this prayer that it follows all that Paul has been saying. You see, by putting this prayer here, Paul doesn't deny the need to increase in the knowledge of God. He's not saying that you shouldn't go deeper into God. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 28, he says his aim is to make everyone mature in Christ. Perfect is the word, but it's actually the word mature. But his point is this, that happens through Christ, not some new and extra experience. This is a prayer, you see, verses 9 to 12, we'll see it next week, that we would be filled and grow in Christ. A prayer for us to be strengthened and to endure in Christ. It is a great prayer and we'll look at it next week. And meanwhile, perhaps we can pray this prayer for ourselves and for one another and indeed pray it often. That we would say, Jesus is everything. And because he is everything, I want to get to know him better. Well, let me pray this prayer for us right now.